Gotta love some Mr. Bean at church, don't you? Mm, good times. Today we're wrapping up our series on cow tipping. And we've been talking about that the, the church has some sacred cows. The church has some things that many times we don't like talking about. Some things that um, are more based upon tradition than Bible. And uh, we've been using this series uh, as an example and to give us an excuse to talk about why we do what we do here at One Church. Um, because we do things here at One Church a little bit differently. I just want to say this. If you've enjoyed this time, if you enjoyed the series, uh, we go into uh, much detail, greater detail, in our commune class. It's our membership class. Uh, it's going to be on February the 21st. And uh, so that's next Sunday. If you're interested in uh, being a part of that class, you're welcome to come. Five o'clock, you can sign up for the hub table. Let me give you two other uh, examples that you can kind of do with this as well. Uh, if you, again, if you liked what we've talked about, uh, this, all the information content we've been talking about is found in Seven Practices of Highly Effective Ministry. It's in this book by Andy Stanley. There's also a website. Uh, the book is, you've got to pay money for. Uh, the website is free. And uh, the website, you can just go on there, practicallyspeaking.org. And it's uh, MP3s based upon seven practices of why we do what we do here at One Church. It's kind of our, a slice of our DNA, if you will. Uh, so, But it's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about think steps, not programs. We've been th- uh, talking about clarifying the when, uh, who the church is for. And today we're going to be talking about the principle of teach less for more. Because uh, I don't know about you, but our society is filled with just tons of information. Uh, and a lot of it's conflicting information. 7.3 million pages of website are added every day. 7.3 million. Here's another stat. 1,000 books are published every day. And this is interesting. 1.5 billion instant messages happen every day. Isn't that something? That's a lot of information. And it's easy to get distracted, isn't it? In fact, some of you, you've not heard a word that I've said. Because I have a distraction on stage around me. I have a cow that I'm getting ready to tip over if he doesn't get off the stage. All right. That's right. I've been wanting to do that for a while. Let's give it a hand to Millennium. Utterly despicable. All right. So what we're going to be talking about today is getting rid of a lot of this excess information, excess content, and boiling down our teaching to one point. Because if you've been here at one church for any amount of time, you realize that we teach things a little bit differently because we don't teach a point here and a point here and a point here and a point here with nice little acrostics that spell stuff. All right? Because here's one of the things that we've realized. We realize that most people... Their takeaway from that is very, very low. That, And again, I have been in Sunday school classes. I've been in conferences. I've been in sermons. I have even preached sermons. That you, you, I have multiple points and all of this stuff. And 20 or 30 minutes after the talk or the preaching or whatever, or the conference or the lesson, you usually remember you know, a story here or maybe an interesting fact here, but you don't remember most of it, right? You don't remember hardly any of it 20 or 30 minutes just afterwards because it's so scattered. It's like the shot of a shotgun. You know, you, if you fire a shotgun, if you fire a shotgun a mile away to try to hit a target a mile away, are you going to do any damage? No, because a shotgun is meant to be used at close range. And most sermons, most teachings, most churches are like a lot of shot. 
a lot of ideas everywhere. And there's a point here and a point here and a point here and a point here and a story here and a fact here and a story here and a fact here. And it's like the shot of a shotgun and it's just dispersed and it doesn't make an impact, especially from a mile away. But a rifle shot at a mile away with somebody who knows what they're doing with a rifle can be deadly, right? And that is the power of the big idea. That is the power of teaching one point. Let's say a few things. Let's say them well, and let's say them over and over again. And I believe if the local church, and I'm not just talking about one church, I'm talking about churches as a whole. If churches as a whole, are, they're going to be effective, we need to cut through the noise. We need to cut through the banter, and we need to cut through the information overload. Let me give you some real statistics on learning. That after somebody has heard a sermon, heard a talk, heard a a teaching or something, that they have the potential to remember up to 10% after they heard it 24 hours later. Now that's potential. So you hear a talk, 24 hours later, you have the potential to remember 10%. Now, let me just say this about the potential. If you did remember 10%, you would be on the, on the likes of like an Einstein or a Stephen Hawking. All right? Um, you wouldn't be like most of us or definitely not me. That's potential. So, but if you think about it, most of what we do in churches centers around talking and speaking. So much centers around it that we gotta, we got to cut through the noise and say, okay, if people are only going to remember a potentially 10% of what I say, then i got to choose wisely what I say. we got to look at one main point, one big idea, and talk about it creatively, and we got to repeat it over and over. And I really believe this. In reality, we teach so little in churches because we try to teach so much. We try to teach so much. We have to narrow our content down to an irreducible minimum and then each week state it clearly, succinctly, in a big idea. Now, let me give you a definition. When I say big idea or one point, this is what I'm talking about. To narrow the focus of a passage to one point so that people will do something. See, it's not about just up here, as we're going to be talking about today in our passage that Jesus, it's all about what we do with it. Every sermon is supposed to have a big idea, just one point. And we evaluate everything here at One Church. In fact, this is, how many of y'all were here last week? Cool. One of the things I got, because every, every Monday we evaluate sermons. We evaluate everything, children, students, everything. But one of the things I heard consistently, I mean, consi- that's not even a word, consistently, is the the sermon last week was really kind of almost two big ideas. Wasn't effective. So (laughs) there's sometimes I miss this, and I'm out to lunch on this, and I miss the principle. But we want to be able to do one big idea and talk about that creatively and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. Now, here, let me tell you, a lie that the average church, especially the American church, has bought into. In fact, once I tell you this, you're going to think, that's not a lie, that's true. Because I was trained that way. In fact, I even went to school where they taught me to teach that way. And here is the lie. The lie is that information leads to transformation. Information leads to transformation. That's a lie. But most of us, we think, no, 
you know, that's, that's, that's how it is. I mean, think about it. If information leads to transformation, I should be one of the most transformed people here. Right? I mean, let me tell you, and I'm not. Let me just say this. I, uh, I, I, I've grown up in church all of my life. I have listened to thousands of sermons. In fact, I went to many conferences, and I've, I went to school for four years to, to, to be taught the Bible. I, um, I own my iPod. I have a 160 gig iPod that's jam full of sermons. Some of y'all are going, you need help and you would be right. But that's what I like doing for fun. I, somebody's got to preach to the preacher. So I love listening to sermons. But if information, if that was true, if information should lead to transformation, then I should be one of the most <clears throat> transformed people in here. But I'm not because it takes more than information. Information does not lead to transformation. Now, I want to introduce you to a group from the Bible today that believe that. They believe that information leads to transformation. In fact, these people I'm going to talk to you about, they were the kings of disseminating information. They had tons of information. They had so much information, they memorized to be a part of their club. You had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. That's a lot. I could might quote you one verse out of the first five books of the Bible, all right? Um, but I mean, and some of you, you might be going, yeah, I'm with you. Leviticus, I mean, come on, right? But they memorized the first five books of the Bible. In fact, some of them, if they were really good, they memorized the entire Old Testament. That's 39 books, people. That's a lot of information. And they believe this, that information leads to transformation. They believe the Ten Commandments. And not only did they believe the Ten Commandments and they didn't want to, like, break the Ten Commandments, they created 600 more commandments to follow so that they wouldn't break the Ten. Isn't that something? It kind of sounds like government work. All right. Now, so what we're going to be looking at is these experts, these people who believe information leads to transformation. The, the story that we're going to be looking at is found in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. And you're going to see on the screen, I'm using a lot of different of them. You're welcome to look at them. Now, one day, an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Of all the commandments, which one is the most important. So this expert of the law, this expert in theology, this person who has his doctorate in jurisprudence, he comes to Jesus and he says, okay, (laughs) I'm the expert. I'm going to test Jesus. And he almost like, okay, Jesus, I want you to take the 10 commandments. I want you to take the 600 we've added to it. I even want you to take the 39 books of the old Testament. And I want you to sum it up in a big idea. I dare you. Give me which one is the most important. I dare you. Well, Jesus, he's up to the task. So this is what Jesus said. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Jesus quotes from a book One of the first five books of the Bible called Deuteronomy, and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he narrows the focus so much as to roll all of the entire Bible up into one big idea. And that is this, love. You see, in Jesus' mind, being a great Christian had far less to do with how much you know 
And it had far more to do with how well you treated other people. You see, in Jesus' mind, being a good Christian, being a Christian that followed him, had a whole lot less to do with knowing a lot than it did loving a lot. And I feel like so many times in our churches, we get content with knowing a lot, yet we don't love a lot. I wonder what Jesus would say about that. He says, I want, I want a good Christian, a great Christian needs to have a loving relationship with their Heavenly Father and needs to have a loving relationship with other people. And that is what a good Christian looks like. Now, here's a, a question I want to ask you. Do you consider that deep teaching? Because sometimes I will get this question, Chris, what about deep teaching? What about deeper teaching? Or when are you going to go deeper? And really what they mean is this, is when are you going to get out the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and give us word studies and make it so confusing so that I don't have to do anything about it? Because let me tell you how deep Jesus went. <laughs> Jesus narrowed the entire Bible down to love, right? Now, I don't know about you. You may, you may not consider that deep, but I still struggle with that. Ask my wife. I still struggle with that when somebody cuts me off that I don't want to flip them off. I still struggle with loving other people who are hard to love. And I still struggle loving God the way I should. And, it, and so if somebody asked Jesus, where's the deeper teaching? Jesus would say it doesn't get any deeper than this. Love God and love other people. You, you get that and then we'll come back to some deeper teaching. And I believe that is exactly what God is telling us here. And, no, and hear me, the goal of teaching the Bible isn't to be deep. Did you know that? The goal of teaching the Bible, we're getting ready to find out, is for you to do something. It's not just to go, ooh, that was deep. The goal is to, for us to go, wow, I need to do something with what I just heard. That's where we're going to be landing at today. All right, now, if you remember, the expert, the religious expert, what was his question of all of the commandments, which one is most important? That was the question, right? Did Jesus answer his question? Jesus said the most important commandment is to love God and love other people, right? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so Jesus answered that question. Now, here's a question I want to give to you guys. <coughs> the religious leader had a question. Jesus answered the question, so Jesus gave him the information. Was this religious leader's life changed? Was he transformed? No, he wasn't. He was not transformed at all. Because information doesn't lead to transformation, even if that information comes straight from Jesus' mouth. You've got to do something with the information. All right? Like, look, look what happens. So the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, <clears throat> who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now, how do you think Jesus would have responded? He just quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Is he going to go back and give a verse-by-verse -verse study of Deuteronomy? Well, no. Let's see how he responds. Verse 30. Jesus replied with a... <coughs> he replied with a story. Let me tell you this. Do you know how many instances, how many occurrences, how many examples we have of Jesus taking an entire book of the Bible and going verse by verse by verse by verse teaching. You know how many times Jesus did that? Zero. 
Yet I'm telling you, one of the things I hear consistently, not here at one church, but from other churches, is you don't really teach the Bible. You don't really preach the Bible unless you take a book and you go verse by verse. I want to go, really? What did Jesus do? I mean, you remember the bracelets, right? What did Jesus do? What would Jesus do, right? WWJD? Well, how did Jesus teach? He taught by taking a verse, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and then he went and told a story. He taught by using big ideas. Now, let me just say this. I'm not against verse by verse. We've done that here. In fact, next Sunday, we're starting a new series on the book of Esther. It's going, to be, it's going to rock. I'm so excited. I've been, I've been reading through this book for about four months now, and it's just eating my lunch. I love it. But we do both. We do verse by verse, but we also do something called topical, which means we talk about marriage. We talk about family. We talk about forgiveness. We talk about finances. We talk about those needs, and then we go to the Bible, and that is exactly how Jesus taught. Exactly. So be careful when somebody gets so rigid and narrow saying this is the only way to do it. Always go back again and see what Jesus did because he really is the best teacher who's ever lived. Now, Jesus says this in verse 30. Jesus told a story, and here's his story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. Bum, bum, bum. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, And they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, though, a priest came along. And the expert of the religious law, he's the one hearing the story, right? Jesus is telling the story. And why is he telling it? Because Jesus said, okay, I'm going to answer your question. You want to know who's your neighbor? Let me tell you a story. And he tells a story about this man beat up. And a priest comes along. And the expert of the religious law is going, yes! This is it. This, I mean, this dude, he has all the knowledge. He has all the information. I mean, this priest, he serves God, right? I mean, he's awesome. He's going to have all the information and he's going to do something about it, right? Look, by chance a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. What? I'm sure the expert of the religious law scratched his head going, that's not right. He shouldn't have done that. This dude had all the right information. He knew God and he knew the Bible and he even served God in the temple. Yet he didn't do anything with it. That's not right. Jesus keeps on telling the story. A temple assistant comes by. Oh, okay, okay, now, experts going, okay, this is good. This dude is serving in the temple. He, I mean, he's listening to sermons. He's got the information. He's going he's gonna to knock it out of the park. The temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. So at least he came over, right? He looked at him lying there. Going, oh, yeah, stinks to be you. And passed by on the other side. What is that? The two people that had the most information in this story and all of the correct information, it didn't transform their lives any because they didn't do anything with it. They didn't do anything because information doesn't lead to transformation. In fact, let me quote you what information does. This is from another uh, part of the Bible. It says, knowledge puffs up. That's what knowledge does. You get a lot of stuff in your head, 
you get puffed up. But let me, I'm going to finish that verse. It says, but love builds up. You see, it's not just about knowing a lot. It's about doing something with what you know. They had all the right information, no transformation. Jesus keeps on telling the story, though. Now, when I get to this word, I'm going to read it. I want you to boo. All right? So you, it's, it's all skate here. Just hang out with me. Then a despised Samaritan. Oh, that was good. That was really good. A despised Samaritan. I mean, the Jews hated the Samaritans. And let me tell you why. Because the Samaritans, they, they got the morals and the religion mixed up. In fact, not only were they mixed up, they literally, God told them, I want you to be totally set apart from everybody else. And they were mixed breeds is what the Jews would call them. They were part Jewish and part something else. And Samaritans, they believed part Jew stuff, but they also believed part everything else. And they had mixed belief. They had mixed morals. And I'm sure when... This expert of the religious law is sitting there and he says, and as despised Samaritan came along, I'm sure he's like, ugh, ugh. But a despised Samaritan came along. And when he, I, w- I want you to look at the verbs here. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. I mean, look at those verbs again. He saw, he felt, he, he, was, he went, he soothed, he bandaged, he put, he took, he cared. All of those verbs described what the Samaritan did. And even though the Samaritan didn't have all of the right beliefs, they didn't believe everything exactly right, and they lived on the wrong side of the tracks, he did something. He did something. Because it isn't about just having all the right information. Because knowing the right things and not doing anything about them doesn't benefit anyone. Knowing all of the right things in your head and doing nothing about them doesn't benefit anyone. Now, keep on going. Verse 35. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. The Samaritan did. Handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'm going to come back next time and I'll pay you. I mean, this despised Samaritan who didn't have all of the right beliefs came from the wrong side of the tracks. He, he took money out of his own pocket. He staked his financial being and his own reputation for a stranger he did not know. And yet the priest and the temple assistant, their mindset was, oh, I'm going to avoid it. I'm just going to close my eyes. I'm going to go to the other side of the street and it'll be okay. I'm just going to ignore it. And is it... Could it be that's exactly what we as Christians do today? We just ignore it. We just ignore it. We ignore the real problems around us. While we we pat ourselves on the back thinking, wow, look how good I am. And we're just like these people. 
that Jesus had the most problems with. I wonder if Jesus showed up today, how much problems he would have with me. I wonder if Jesus showed up today, how much problems he would have with you. Because it isn't about knowing a lot. It's about loving a lot. It's about doing something with what we know. Now, remember this dude asked the question, who's my neighbor? Jesus tells him a story and then Jesus ends the story with a question. Look at this. Now, Jesus asked, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? It's a great question. He says, well, the one who showed him mercy. He didn't even mention his name. He didn't even say the Samaritan. He wouldn't say it. Mm -mm. The one who showed mercy. Then Jesus says, yes, now go and... What is that next word? I'm sorry. I I didn't quite hear you. I'm a little hard of hearing. What is that next word? Do. Go and do the same. Because it, it isn't about just accumulating stuff up here. It's about doing something with it. Information doesn't lead to transformation. Information, when you hook it up with application, will lead to transformation. In fact, there's a whole lot of Asians in that sentence. So I'm going to bring the cookies down to a bottom shelf. I'm going to say it this way. This is our big idea. We never grow until we apply what we know. Let's all say that. We never grow... Until we apply what we know. Let's say it one more time. We never grow until we apply what we know. You know, tomorrow, I hope you wake up and you say, you know what? I'm not going to grow. You just got finished reading your Bible. I'm not going to grow until I apply what I know. That is what Jesus is saying. Having all of the right beliefs and doing nothing about it is not going to help you one iota because information does not lead to transformation. Information joined with application leads to transformation because you will not grow until you apply what you know. It isn't about knowing more. It's about knowing what to do with what you just learned. God doesn't want you to just know a lot of things. Knowing's part of it because you can't do something you don't know, right? But it's just part of it. It's only part of the equation. Yet, you learn about it and then you do something about it. Knowing doesn't make the difference. And the problem with many churches, especially here in America, is that we have a contentment. You know what? I just let, Let's just teach the Bible. Let's just go through Genesis through Revelation and let's get happy. And we're going to fill our heads and our notebooks with a lot of stuff. And when we go out, we're going to treat the waitress like dirt at Shoney's because she didn't give my sweet tea the, the fifth refill that it should have had. Seriously. See, we can have a lot of knowledge because knowledge puffs up. But God says you do something with what you've learned. It's not just about acquiring a bunch of head knowledge. Do something with it. Jesus, and this is so important because I want you to hear my heart on this. I believe that this entire Bible is inspired by God. What that means is I believe God... Every word that's in here has come from Jesus, has, become, has come from God. Every word. Some of you have red-letter Bibles. I have a red-letter Bible as well. But if the truth be told, the entire Bible is red-letter because all of it comes from God. I believe this book is equally inspired. But I don't believe all of the information in this book is equally applicable to all age groups. Because what we have to do is there are some information that's more important than others, even though all of it's true. 
You see, I can tell you, yeah, Leviticus chapter 2, verse 18, when it talks about, that's true. But let me tell you, something you need to know even more than that is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You need to know that you can't get to heaven unless you have a relationship with Jesus. That's a big one. That's a big one. So it's even though it's equally inspired, it's not equally applicable to all age groups. Now, this is so important because in all of our children's ministry area, in student ministry, in babies, in preschool, we teach big ideas. That's how it's not just in here. We teach big ideas there. And we don't teach your preschooler, your two-year-old about David and Bathsheba. Right? Now, some of you are going, I don't, I don't know that story. It's about adultery and lust. We don't, we're not going to tell you two and a half year. I have a two and a half year old named Bing. I'm not going to say, hey, Bing, let me tell you. I'm not going to do that. But now your teenager, we'll probably talk about David and Bathsheba once a month. Right? Because they, they got some hormones going. And, 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 and see, that's exactly what we're talking about here. Going back to the big idea in teaching, the goal of, teach, of teaching the Bible isn't to go deep. The goal is to teach the Bible to do something. And the best way to get people to do something is to give them one something to do. And that is one point, one big idea. Now, why don't churches teach like this as we close? Why don't churches teach like this? Why don't churches teach just one point and build an entire sermon around it? And I'm going to answer that question very easily because it is very difficult. Uh, you may think, well, to get up and, and say one thing, is, it would be easy. And it's not it's not. I spend probably the majority of my time, I have a, you know, I can bring a lot of information on the page, but then I'm having to cut and cut and cut and cut and cut because I can't come with a, a shotgun approach because it's not going to make an impact. I, I said, you know what? We're going to do one thing and we're going to camp out on it. And that's difficult. Haddon Robinson, one of my uh, seminary profs, said this, the truth is less is more. Teach with a singular idea. Most sermons would be good sermon series. <laughs> I remember one of my profs in seminary, his name was Reg Grant. Uh, the entire, I took more sermon, uh, like preaching uh, classes in seminary than any other thing because I really stunk at preaching. And some of you are going, you need to go back, preacher. Might be, all right. But um, I, every sermon thing they did, I took. And I'll never forget one entire uh, semester, I worked on one sermon. They said, I want you to get your best sermon. Okay, cool. All right, I got it. I only had one at the time, so it was my best. <clears throat> and they said, we want you to preach it. And I preached it. It was like 45 minutes long. They said, okay, good. I want you to cut it in half. All right, so I spent the next couple of weeks cutting it in half and marking through. And I get up, and he says, okay, preach it. So I preached again. Okay, that was good. Cut it in half. Okay. So I'd go, and I, and, and, and I cut it in half. <laughs> and I preached it. And you know what he said after that? Yeah, y'all good. At the end of the semester, I wanted to kill him. Um, and, it, and this is what I had to do. I had to cut it all the way down so it was an eight-minute sermon. How many of y'all would like to hear an eight-minute sermon from me? Okay, good luck on that one because it's never going to happen again, all right? It's just too difficult. It took me a semester to do eight minutes because it takes longer to say less than it does to say more. It, it's, it's harder. It's harder to say uh, Fewer things and to say them well than to just fill up with a lot of stuff. Now, I want to say this. We're so committed to this that everyone, every environment we do, every age grade environment, we center them around three big ideas. 
three big ideas. And where I want us to go and land as we end is I want us to, uh, and by the way, you, if you have any questions, you're welcome to text me. You can do that now. Um, in Wonderland, Wonderland is our preschool environment. How many of y'all have preschoolers? Cool. All right, great. I got a preschooler as well. Two and a half year old. Let me tell you, throughout the entire year, we tailor that environment where we're talking about one of three big ideas. Look at the screen and you'll be able to see those. As we talk about in Wonderland, the three things is God made me, God loves me, and Jesus wants to be my friend forever. You need to know this. Every night when I put my two and a half year old son Bing to bed, And we pray at the end of the day. This is what I say. I always say those things. I say, God, I thank you so much, God, that you made Bing. And that God loves Bingham. And that Jesus wants to be Bing's friend forever. Because those are the three things here that we want your preschool to know. Because we're not babysitting. We want to teach big ideas to them so that when they get 44, they can remember something they learned at age four. That's important to us. That's our, our Wonderland is our, our, our uh, preschool environment. One-way street is our K through fifth grade environment. Kindergarten through fifth grade. How many of you got a child in one-way street right now? Cool. Isn't it awesome that they're not with you right now? Awesome. Yes. Let's all thank the volunteers. All right. Now, let me tell you, we have three things that we want your K through fifth grade, those, those children in one-way street to learn. And it's going to be up on the screen. Y'all watch this. The three things we talk about in in, uh, One Way Street, that your child can trust God no matter what. That's so important. With so many, sometimes relationships and homes falling apart, that you know what? They can trust their Heavenly Father. They can trust God no matter what. That they need to make the wise choice. I have a five-year-old. His name is Jed. He's a preacher's kid. And that's not a compliment. One of the things I'm having to always tell Jed is pull him aside. Now, was that the wise choice? Was that the wise choice? So they need to make the wise choice. And lastly, that I should treat others the way I would want to be treated. In fact, that's what we just got finished talking about that Jesus taught about, right? His big idea. Who's my neighbor? So that's what we talk about. Another thing that we kind of put on there is every month in One Way Street, they talk about one big idea. And it's, it's, it, they usually call it a virtue. And we give these away for free at the children's hub table. Like this was a last month's compassion. Caring enough to do something about someone else's need. And what you do is you open this up and it's a CD about songs about compassion. And then it has in here uh, a drive time CD that, you know, that talks about the virtue. Mealtime notes that you can talk about stuff while you're eating. You turn off television and you start talking, hey, what'd you learn at church? And you're able to talk about what they learned at church because we believe at one church what happens at home is more important than what happens here at church. They have bedtime cards that you can get do devotionals with them over what they're talking about in church. And then morning time cards that you can write them a note and put in their lunchbox. All right. These are free. Another one, cooperation, working together to do more than you could do alone. All right, I'm going to throw these, so watch. If you have small children, protect them. Good catch. All right, ready? I'm just joking. All righty, cool beans. All right, 
By the way, no person was hurt during the throwing of those CDs. Anyway, now, Relevant. Our student ministry is called Relevant. And they meet on Wednesday nights at the church offices. And guess how many big ideas we talk about in Relevant student ministry? Three. Okay, some of y'all are good, all right, because we talk about one at a time. But children, you remember there was three? God made me. God loved me. And then, and then, and then there's three. So three. All right, here they are. All right, student ministry, three things. I am created to pursue an authentic relationship with my creator, wonder, discovery. I belong to Jesus Christ and define who I am, not by what other people say or see about me, but by what he says about me and passion. I exist every day to demonstrate God's love to a broken world. Those are the three things we talk about. Now, uh, as we end, a couple of uh, texts I want to answer, and, um, and then I'm going to show you a promo for our next series starting next week on Esther. It's going to be awesome. Here's a question. Would you say that information could aid instead of completely lead to transformation? Of course, information plays a part, but information without application, you will get no transformation. All right. Uh, here's another question. Um, where, how, or can we obtain recorded copies of the sermons? Yes, you can. Uh, they're free. A lot of churches sell that. We don't. Um, we give them free. A couple of ways you can get them is you can go on the website and you can uh, go on sermons and you can hit listen now. Uh, by the way, all of the videos of worship and the teaching are on the website as well. Uh, I talked to two guys who were getting ready to deploy to Afghanistan last week. And I said, hey, the reason why we put video up on the website is for guys just like you. Because your spouse is going to be experiencing something back here. And we want you to be able to experience it as well. So we want you to basically plan a church, plan a one church in Afghanistan. So they can get around their computer, they can listen to the worship, they can watch the teaching, and then they can download small group questions, and they can lead a community group in Afghanistan. So again, you can get that on there as well. And also, our podcast. If you go on iTunes and search for One Church, you'll see our podcast. To be honest with you, we've had some difficulty with our podcast. Uh, Josh has been working around the clock trying to get those up and running, but uh, he's trying to edit HTML code. So if you know how to do that stuff, I'm, I'm sure he would love to talk with you. Last one, because my time's up. Um, it says, uh, oh, this, th- there's a small group you can still sign up for at the hub table today. meets every Sunday in the evening. That really wasn't a question. Well, last one. Uh, how can we approach, how can I approach my students if we can't talk about God in our school? That's a great question. How can we talk about God in our school without really talking about him? Well, let me tell you, verse, um, uh, this is in 1 Peter chapter 3, and after this, I'm gonna, I am going to be done, I promise you, because they will pull me off stage. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, it's talking to wives whose husbands aren't Christians. Um, now, we have a tendency, um, I've got to be careful how I say this, because women will tar and feather me right now. Um, if you have a spouse who doesn't come to church, the best way to get them to come to church isn't nagging. Just throw that out there, okay? So the principle I'm talking about with husbands and wives can be applied to schools and teachers as well. Listen to this. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. That your godly lives will speak to them without any words. If your husband was here, he would probably go, yes, Jesus, right? (laughs) Again, 
Now, here's the thing. You, yes, you can't open up the Bible and beat them over the head with the Bible in school. But you know what? You can win them without a word. You can go the extra mile as a teacher. And you can look for creative ways to be able to talk about principles and virtues from the Bible in your, in, in your classroom. And then if somebody asks, hey, where did you learn that? I'll tell you where I learned it. Proverbs. Jesus. All right, cool. Thank you guys for coming. Uh, as, uh, as we close, before the band comes out, here is what we're going to be talking about next week on Esther. Y'all take a look.